Uh, we begin the book of Ephesians this morning, and we will begin with only the first three verses. It'll be more than enough, as you see. And uh, here it is, Ephesians 1, 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. Church, there are two most important things about you. The most important is how you see God in your heart of hearts. The second most important thing is how you see yourself in your heart of hearts. Not what you say about either, but how you really see God and then how you see yourself. There are enormous implications. And particularly at the start of the book of Ephesians, we're going to, talk, we're going to see identity and who we are in Christ and how we must see ourselves. And as always, when we open God's Word, and certainly that is true in the book of Ephesians, our, our goal is not more knowledge, but obedience to God and transformation. So we want to be doers and not just hearers. Now, when it comes to Ephesians, uh, along with Romans, Ephesians is widely considered the most significant, the most momentous, the most magnificent of all of the letters in the New Testament. It is full of these great themes, the sovereign grace of God, the centrality of the church on the planet earth is God's plan. It has the two greatest prayers in the New Testament, in chapters 1 and 3. It's got the most important passages in all the New Testament on marriage, parenting, work, and the spiritual battle, and much else. It is replete with uh, golden wisdom. The book was written in 62 A.D., so that's about 30 years after Christ was here. Now, it was written to the church in Ephesus and the ancient world, the Roman Empire, the first century, there were four great cities. Those four cities were Rome, of course, the empire's capital, Antioch, which is a small little city in southeastern Turkey today, Alexandria had the greatest library in the world in Egypt, and then Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a dead city today. It's just ruins there. But at that time, it was this great, magnificent city. You can walk, to, walk the ruins of Ephesus today. I've been there several times. And where Paul walked, where, where Mary, the mother of Jesus, was, where Peter was, where John was. And at that time, it was a great seaport, a great commercial center. It was also, unfortunately, a religious center, the worship of Artemis or Di Diana. In fact, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the largest building in the world, the temple to Diana or Artemis. Uh, all this religious activity, it was a demonic stronghold, and that's going to come out in Ephesians 6 and the spiritual warfare and the reality of the spiritual battle. All of that is in the book of Ephesians. Now, Paul arrived there. It was already a small little church. He didn't start it. He arrived there in Acts 19, and he was there for the next three years. Often when he visited a church, he was there for a few months or even a few weeks. No church was he at anything like this, three years in Ephesus, because it was a major city, and the gospel was a hub there, and it radiated out to all of that area, modern-day Turkey, a country that's particularly on our hearts, where we have folks there, and uh, 
Uh, at that time, it was a province of the Roman Empire called Asia Minor. All right, the question is, what does God want to say to us through this book? All along, what does God want to say? Not for our heads, but for our hearts and our lives, our obedience, our transformation. And this morning specifically, Lord, what do you have for me? Well, in the ancient world, when they wrote letters, they had a form for letter writing, just like we do. If you write a letter, if you can remember uh, back when you wrote regular letters, what, what did you write? You wrote, uh, first to the recipient, dear John, you put your stuff down in the body of the letter, and then you signed it, sincerely, Jeff. Uh, recipient, author. Uh, they reversed that. They started by, by announcing who's writing this book, and then they say the recipient, and then a greeting, then the body. It's really like our email, isn't it? Don't we start that way? Uh, which is a good way to do it, right off the bat. Just tell them who you are so they'll know. And then that's the from line, then the to line, then the subject line, kind of like they're greeting. So there is a letter-writing form. So he begins, Paul. Remember, it's like our email, Paul. And then he identifies himself. Says, usually they say a little bit about themselves, who, who he's writing to. Now, Paul, this morning I'm uh, in the Word of God in my daily devotional time, my time with the Lord. And I'm in Acts 9, which you, you, many of you know that's when Paul had his great transformation. Now, that chapter starts out, it's either verse 1 or 2, something like, one of these days I'm going to fall up here. And if Gail is in the room, she's going to laugh. That's just the way she is. She'll make sure, she'll make sure, she'll make sure I'm not hurt bad. Okay. All right, back to, back to topic here. Where were we? Oh, Ephesians. That's right. No. Yeah, Acts 9. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. It starts off this way. Um, Paul was breathing threats and violence. I mean, what strong language. What hatred of the church and of the church's founder. Paul hated Jesus. And he hated the church. He thought it was a threat to all that he believed in. And uh, when he writes this letter, identifies himself, does he think back about who he was and his past failures, that he was a murderer, a blasphemer, and a persecutor? Oh, no. Because Paul understands that once you trust Christ as your Savior, you are a new creation. And the past is gone, and God does not see you in light of your past. Church, we have got to learn that. We have got to learn that. But who is he? Well, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. What's an apostle? Well, you've heard of the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, like Jesus had. And then after the resurrection, there are a few other apostles, like Paul and Apollos and James, the brother of the, of the Lord. Um, and these apostles, the main thing about them is they had authority from Jesus. They had authority from Jesus. If there's one word to put with the word apostle, it's authority. They were the authorized representatives of Jesus. So when Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, he wrote with the authority of Jesus. He was Jesus' representative. Now think about this. Uh, how did a guy like Paul, who hated Jesus, who, who murdered Christians, how did he get to be the apostle? Well, by the grace of God, not because he earned it, but by the grace of God. In fact, he says here, he underscores in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, not because anybody appointed me, not because the church voted on me, not because I volunteered, I'll be an apostle, but by the will of God. Only God's 
a sovereign, gracious choice, not because he had earned it. You know, for you sports fans, I know it's high football season. Go Texans today. Um, but in June, when the Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA championships, uh, those of you who are sports fans re remember that Golden State, the favorite, you know, got a big lead, and, and they won three of the first four games. So they got a three-to-one lead, and the first one to win four games wins the series. Well, LeBron James, probably the greatest player on the planet today, he has heroic games the next three, and Cleveland wins three games in a row to win the series four to three. And their coach, Tyron Lue, after the last game, said this about LeBron James. He said, great things happen to great people. And he's talking about this incredible athlete. You know, no wonder we were able to come back because great things happen to great people. Well, that may be true in the athletic realm, but it is not true when it comes to the kingdom of God. Every single one of us who are in the kingdom of God, we are in it by the grace of God, by the sheer mercy and kindness of God. And that is a change for us because since the time you were in the first grade, maybe before, you have been trying to uh, perform and, and work hard and measure up and, you know, and, and subconsciously prove that you're somebody. You know, I did. I have uh, all my life in school and sports. And if you're in a career, you know, probably trying to perform, perform, do your best, measure up. And then you come to the kingdom of God, and it turns it on its head. It's no longer performance. It is the gift of God. It is the grace of God. Here, it's not so much that great things happen to great people. Paul was not made apostle because he was such a great guy. But in spite of his sin and failure, God, in his undeserved mercy and grace, had mercy on him, just like with you and me, just like with you and me. Friends, I find it's very hard with an extensive performance mentality that I had, uh, have had all my life, in the spiritual life, recognize, Jeff, you are not on performance. You are not trying to earn God's favor. You have all the favor of God that you'll ever have. He loves you perfectly just the way you are right now. And, and the whole Christian life is not performance. It's a, a response of gratitude to the grace of God. It's all about thank you. It's all about thank you. Church, we, this is the Christian life. Now, Paul says, this is who I am. He says, I, you know, it doesn't, doesn't think, you know, failure, murderer, hater of Jesus, but I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. It's by the will of God. Who are they? Now, he gets to the two line of the email, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Saints is probably... I don't know, if it's one of the most common ways that Paul refers to Christians as saints. In fact, uh, all of his letters, I think, certainly most of them, he refers to the believers, not as Christians, a term that he hardly ever uses. I don't think he ever used it. Um, not as believers, but he refers to them as saints. Now, that term saints is an interesting word, both in English and in Greek. In English, it has come to mean no matter if you grew up in a Catholic background or not, you think of the, it's the spiritual elites. You know, two weeks ago when Pope Francis declared that Mother Teresa is now a saint. She's Saint Teresa. And that's what we tend to think of with the word saint. There's Saint Augustine, there's Saint Thomas, there's Saint Paul, there's a bunch of saints. Not in the New Testament. In the New Testament, that word is used for every single believer. 
And what is interesting about it is that it's the same Greek word for the word holy. For example, the word holy, hagios, the word saints, hagioi, a plural form. So a Greek reader, when he sees that, he would immediately think, oh, holy ones. In fact, the NIV, I'm pretty sure, translates it that way, holy ones. Now think about it. Paul is writing to the Christians, just like I could write a letter to you, and I could say to the holy ones at Wood's Edge. That wouldn't mean the spiritual elite. Every single believer has been made holy by the shed blood of Jesus. And that's why every week we, we, we celebrate communion. We celebrate the forgiveness of our sin, how God sees us as, as, as blood-bought, not, not on performance. This is not sports anymore. This is not school you know, performing anymore. This is grace of God. And we celebrate the blood of Jesus has made us holy and forgiven in the sight of God. Friends, that is how we see ourselves. We are part of the saints. Yes, it is true that we are sinners. We still sin. But that's not our essential identity. Our essential identity is that we are saints. Forgiven, made holy by God. Now, the word has another nuance to it. There's two nuances. One is holy, uh, blameless before God, forgiven. And the second one is dedicated to God. It has the idea of you're, you're dedicated, you're, you're consecrated. You're, I mean, you are marked out to serve your king and master. And, that, and that's got to be part of our identity, that we are marked out, we are set apart. You know, this is what we dedicate our life to, to serve our great God and Savior, Jesus. Okay, who are you? Well, you're like Paul. You have a calling. You're, he was an apostle. That's an unusual calling, a special calling. But do you know? Do you know? Every single believer has a calling in the kingdom. They're gifted. They're called. They're needed. Uh, the Ephesians 4 is going to uh, underscore this. Romans 12 underscores it. 1 Corinthians 12 underscores it. 1 Peter 4, the entire imagery of the body, the body that every person is needed, just like you need your elbow, you need your ankle, you need your thumb. Every person is needed, just like every part of a body is needed. You're gifted. You've got a role to play. Uh, some of you are Lord of the Rings fans. Do you remember that first Lord of the Rings movie? And when Frodo realizes that he needs to be the one to take the ring back to, to Mordor, dangerous journey, and I, I just I can still see this image in my mind because I loved that little scene. And, and he had, you know, eight or ten of his colleagues were around him. And he declares to them, I'll take the ring back to Mordor. Do you remember how his colleagues respond, responded? They each one jumped in, said, You've got my bow, another one. You got my axe, another one. You got my sword. That is, we'll help you. Uh, we're needed in this battle. Friends, that is true in the kingdom of God. There are no spectators. There's, there's no, you know, two classes. You, you know, you got the pastors and the uh, clergy and then everybody else. That's foreign to the New Testament, completely unbiblical. But all of us called, gifted, needed. You got a bow. You got a sword. You got an axe, and you're needed in the spiritual battle. What is your role? Ask God. Now, we all love the Lord. We all make disciples. That, that's just, you know, part of the Great Commission, the Great Commandments, love God, love your neighbor, uh, make disciples. We all do that. 
Uh, if you're married and you got a family, that's the primary place of your, of your ministry. Uh, if you've got a job where you are 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you know, whether or not that's a job at home as a homemaker or, or at uh, the oil company or someplace, then I'd say that's a huge, the next most important part of your ministry, to have impact for Christ there. But you also have spiritual gifts to be used in the body of Christ as they advance the kingdom. Now, folks here at Wood's Edge, you know, there's all kind of things, both inside and outside. Uh, depending on your season of life and everything else you got, you might just, you know, something very limited in time. And others, you know, you got more bandwidth. Ask the Lord, Lord, what is my place? Someone said that, you know, the greatest day of your life is when you're born again. And the second greatest day of your life, second greatest day of your life is when you find out your calling in the kingdom and you come alive, when you find the place for you and, and ask the Lord. Uh, if you're not sure, uh, try something. Uh, you're not sentenced for life. Just try it and, and see. Um, uh, the, it, uh, keep trying till you find the right fit for you. People come alive all over the church. They are. Okay, Paul, he's an apostle. You are called and gifted as a part of the kingdom. You're a saint. You're completely blameless before Christ. Um, you know, when it comes to seeing yourself as forgiven, as holy, as dedicated to God, um, you've got a challenge. Uh, we've got a challenge, and that is this. The main strategy of our enemy, our spiritual enemy, is to get you to have a distorted view of God and a distorted view of yourself. Now, when it comes to yourself, he will try to get you to see yourself in light of your past failures and sins. He will try to convince you that because of that divorce, because of that bankruptcy, because of that addiction struggle you had, that God cannot use you anymore and really is kind of peeved at you, kind of frustrated with you. And this is what will happen to you. You will distance yourself from God. You will run from God like Adam and Eve in the garden. You don't want to show up at church. You won't want to read your Bible. You won't want to pray. You won't want to enjoy His goodness and love for you. If Satan can convince you, Satan who is called in the Bible the accuser. Accuser. You know what accusers do? They accuse. He's always accusing you. Recognize that's not God's voice. You know what God says about you? Yeah, I love you to death. You're, no, you're under no condemnation. I've forgiven all of your sins. You are my adopted child. That's, how, that's God's voice. Learn the difference. It will make all the difference in your life. If you see yourself the way God sees you, I am fully forgiven, citizen of the living God, child of God, adopted into the kingdom, forgiven and blameless and holy, a saint before God. Those of you who are newer here, from time to time, I talk about my past days as a runner. I, in my 20s, I ran marathons professionally with Nike shoes. And when I first started running with Nike, their coach is uh, a guy by the name of Harry Johnson, and he had come from the high school. He's a great coach in uh, the high schools in Oregon. And he was a fabulous coach, and this is what made him great. Um, for me, he saw me as a guy who could run in top marathons around the world and compete with anybody. And because he saw me that way, I saw myself that way. I didn't see myself as, oh, I don't belong up here, I, I can't run with these guys. But he saw me as running with anybody in the world, and I began to see myself that way. I rose to the occasion. 
Friends, how you see yourself in Christ will completely uh, transform how you live the Christian life and whether or not you enjoy God, love God, worship God, trust God, obey God, and everything else. It will make all the difference. And all through the New Testament, just pay attention to it, you can see who you are in Christ. Right at the start, I am saint. I'm, I'm a, a holy one. There's St. Duncan right there in the front row. And St. Sherry right there in the front row. You are all saints made holy, God's prized kids before Him. He also writes to the faithful in Christ Jesus because that's who we are. That's, God has put in your heart a longing to be faithful to Him because He is your God and has been so good to you. You want to be faithful to obey Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to pray to Him, to give to Him, to seek Him in every way. You want to be faithful. Church, this morning I want to ask us, to, in light of that we are faithful, that's who we are destined to be, is there any area of unfaithfulness right now that you need to give over to God because you're not going to be happy and fulfilled until it is given over? Is there any area that you need to give to God this morning because God has called you, put this longing with you to be faithful to Christ. Okay, that's who you are. He goes on with a greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he begins with grace like he does all of his letters. If you turn to the last line of the book, he would also be talking about grace. Grace be with you. He begins with grace. He ends with grace. He's a champion of grace. The whole Christian life is all of grace. What is grace? Well, I've already talked about it, haven't I? It's the opposite of earning things. It's the opposite of working hard to deserve things. It is the free gift of God. It is God's mercy to people who don't deserve it. The Christian life is all about grace. We are recipients of grace. That's who we are. We're recipients of grace. You know, Paul, I think he loved grace so much because he realized how much sin he had. You know, he was the main enemy of Christ and the church. And so on his way to Damascus, where I read about this morning, he was knocked to the ground by the grace of God. And I just wrote in my little journal that I just keep, I said, you know, isn't it something that God would save Paul? And I couldn't help but add, and, and, and the same with us, that he would save us. And he never got over grace. Is that true for you? Have you have you gotten over grace? Has that become trite to you? Well, if so, probably you, you've, you've forgotten how big your sin was and how great the grace of God that is greater than all your sin. Grace to you. Grace to you and peace. That is, you have peace with God. You've been brought back to God. You were the enemy because you rebelled, but he's brought you back. You're at peace with God. You, that's who you are. You're, you're the one who's received grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you notice there how God, I mean, how Paul puts Jesus in parallel with the Father? And that's the sort of thing he does unconsciously throughout the New Testament. He does that unconsciously because he realized that God, though there's only one God, is triune. Father, Son, and Spirit. And there's somehow in a mystery, there's three persons, the one Godhead. And so he could easily just, he talks that way. He saw life that way. 
It was, it, he wasn't trying to prove a point. It's just the way he thought. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is fully equal and eternally, uh, fully eternal and fully God, just like the Father. He is God, our Father. He is primarily Father, the perfect Father. The Christian name for God is Father, is Papa, the essence of who He is, His identity for us. Jesus, He is the Lord, Jesus Christ, Christ, Messiah, King of Israel, King of the universe. Jesus, Yahweh saves, Yeshua, Savior, He's Savior, Lord, He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. He's God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, after that greeting, he comes to uh, the, 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 he begins the book with a blessing. And it, it starts at verse 3 and it goes through verse 14 and he just piles up God's blessings to us. Like he, he's, he just can't stop to breathe. He's just like out of breath, just going one to, one to the next. I'm going to read just the first one, which is kind of a summary. And in the following weeks, we'll get to the other parts. Here's what he says. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, did you notice three times the word for bless is in there? Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We bless God with our words because He has blessed us with His life and His deeds and His gifts with every spiritual blessing, with every gift in the heavenlies. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's He done for you? What's He done for me? He has given you nothing less than every single spiritual blessing available in Christ. Now, do you catch that? This is who you are right here. You are the man or the woman who, though you may in yourself be a frail sinner, that God has made you one of His much-loved uh, adopted kids, and you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's not that one day you're going to get to a certain level of holiness and you're going to get the next blessing. It's not that you're going to get a certain level, level of, of knowledge, that you've got to find some esoteric knowledge or something over here, and then you'll get all the blessings. It's not that you've got to find out how your ancestors sin, and then you're going to get the blessings. Right now, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. Now, this is the gospel, folks. The gospel is we are complete in Christ from the moment we trust Christ. We are fully forgiven. We are adopted. we got the mind of Christ. we got the full spirit. Nothing is holding us back. We're like a newborn baby who's born with all of its limbs and organs. And that baby has all the limbs he's ever going to get, all the organs he's ever going to get. Now, they're going to grow, but he's already got them. Friend, you are complete in Christ. That has so many implications. Do you know what one of them is? Sometimes Satan will try to get, get you to, well, not only to see yourself as an awful failure and a sinner that, that God is half mad at and never going to use again, but he also at times tends to, uh, tries to get you to think, well, because I am such a sinner that I cannot help myself but to do this sin. I've just got to look at that pornography. Or I've got to give away to, to, to this drinking addiction that I've got. Or I've just got to do this sin. Friends, that is a lie from hell to ruin your life. There is no sin that you have got to do. That is a lie. 
And it is meant to ruin your families, your, yourselves, your lives, take all the joy out of your life. By the grace of God, you are complete in Christ, and you can obey the Lord by His power, by His grace, and you can please Him and be faithful to Him. Do not believe that lie. He says that you have all these spiritual blessings in Christ. In verse 3, or in verse 2 above, no, it's in verse 3. Uh, is at the end of verse 1. He said, in Christ Jesus, and now in verse 3, he says he's blessed us in Christ. Forty-four times in this book he'll use that phrase, in Christ, in Jesus, in Him, in Christ Jesus. You're in Him. That might be the most important thing about us. You are the person who is, who is so joined, connected, united, to Jesus Christ, you're in his family forever. Think of it this way. A number of you have adopted. I have a niece, Jennifer Holiday, in Orlando, Florida, and she and her husband, uh, Doug Holiday, had three biological daughters. And then, because he was in and out of Kenya and fell in love with a little toddler in the biggest slums in Kenya, Kibara, a little girl by the name of Mary Faith, they decided to adopt her. So they moved to Kenya, and to adopt out of Kenya, you got to live there six months. So the, the bar's high. So they moved their three girls to Kenya for six months, and finally they get to adopt Mary Faith. Now Mary Faith has been with them now 10 years or so, 10 or 12 years. And Mary Faith is, from the first day she was adopted, was fully complete as a member of the Holiday family. She wasn't on probation. She didn't have to earn certain rights, but every day she could sit down at the table. She got all the food she wanted, the clothing, the shelter, the safety, the protection. She had every spiritual bl- she had every blessing in the Holiday family. She was in the Holiday family. The most important thing about her was no longer that she was from Kibera and the slums of Kenya, but she was in the Holiday family. Friends, your past is not the dominant note of your life, but the fact that you are in the family of Jesus Christ. You are in Christ. You are adopted by Christ. You are loved by Christ. You are forgiven by Christ. You are gifted by Christ. You are in Christ with all the power. Friends, do not walk out of this room today seeing yourself the way you have for all of your life in the past. Like an elephant on a chain. You know how the elephants do on the chains and the circuses? When they're baby elephants, they tie them with this uh, a chain to a stake, and the elephant learns he can't go very far. He just can, you know, has limited place where he can go. And then they make the rope smaller and smaller until it's just a little twine, and he's a big elephant. He still won't go anywhere because he sees himself as not able to go anywhere. Friends, refuse to live your life listening to the lies of Satan about who you are because he's out to ruin you. He's looking to ruin us. Friends, who are you? Well, you have every spiritual blessing, all the resources of God, all the safety, all the love of God, because you are in Christ Jesus. This is who we are. One of my favorite movies, I know it's too violent, but it's still a good movie. Uh, It's Gladiator, best picture in 2000. Now, most of you have seen Gladiator, but some of you haven't, so here's the backstory. Russell Crowe plays the General Maximus. And the movie starts, 
You know, they got this big battle going on, and he is loved by his troops. He is a man of honor and valor, and, and, and he's loved by his troops. The emperor, Marcus Aurelius, is dying. His only son is evil, Commodus. He's a rascal. And so Aurelius is going to appoint Maximus to be his successor. Well, Commodus won't hear that, so he strangles his father before he announces it. He arrests Maximus with the intent to kill him. Meanwhile, he's got soldiers over where Maximus is from, and they murder his wife and only son. I mean, it's bad. And Maximus is able to escape. He, he barely is alive, and he's taken as a slave. He's uh, such a skilled warrior and fighter that he becomes a gladiator, and he fights in the little arenas around the empire. And because he's so good, he makes it to Rome, the great Colosseum of Rome. The gladiator fights. And there he's stunning and dazzling. And the emperor watches him and is so impressed and dazzled, the emperor, Commodus, the man who had murdered his wife and son, who does not recognize that's Maximus. Maximus has a helmet on. He goes down into the arena and says, reveal who you are. What's your identity? Who are you? Well, Maximus, when Commodus says this, turns his back to walk away. And Commodus is just irate. How dare you turn your back on me? Slave, come here. Well, identify yourself. Maximus slowly, very slowly, raises the visor of his helmet, slowly turns around to face the enemy who had killed his wife and son. And who does he say he is? He says, I am, you want to know who I am? I am, I am, I am. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. That's who I am. You think slave? Oh, no. You think gladiator? Oh, no. I am general of the northern armies. Maximus knew who he was. And it made all the difference. Christian. Know who you are, and it will make all the difference. Stand with me. Lord God, if there's anybody in this room who's not yet recognized and realized their identity, their destiny in Christ, I pray that right now, they just breathe a prayer and come to Jesus. Friend, if that's you, just breathe a prayer and say, yes, Jesus, I need a Savior. I receive the gift of God, the grace of God, and He will save you. Lord God, for the rest of us, most of us, we've done that, Lord God, but oh God, we're wasting our lives listening to the lies of the enemy. Oh God, make a, train, a transformation this morning that we would forever see ourselves as fully adopted in the family of Jesus Christ, so loved, so forgiven, so empowered to please you. Lord, that is our prayer. I pray that for me. I pray that for these dear brothers and sisters. In Christ's name, amen.